When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, and I'm excited about this one. Man, I, I, stick with it. I, I'm asking you to stick with this one. It's not football, but it's in pursuit of something. And it is in pursuit of a discussion about how to win at Ohio State. And that applies to all 36 sports. That applies to every season. And I'm bringing on successful coaches in other Ohio State sports to talk about that idea. I want them to talk about their teams, really more talk about their programs. How do you try to do it? And we're going to bring at least four coaches on to do it. We have two today, and they're excellent. We're going to start off with Nadine Mazzaral, who is the head coach of the women's hockey team. They won the national championship last year. They are the number one team in the nation this year, trying to go back to back. This program was nowhere when she took over. It was nowhere. Ohio State had to fire two consecutive women's hockey coaches, one for... um, alleged misconduct and some texts to players, the other for NCAA violations. They were nowhere. They hired Nadine Mazzaral late in the process before the 2016-17 season. She's in a rush to get here. She barely gets here before the start of the season. And now here we are. There go 14 and 18 in her first year. Since then, 24 and 11 and 4, 2013 and 2, 24, 8 and 6, 13 and 7, 32 and 6 national champions last year. They've, they made the frozen four, the, you know, one of the final four teams twice previously. This program was nowhere. She built this from the ground up. She is unbelievable. She's first. Listen to her. Then Kevin McGuff, head coach of the women's basketball team. He's been here for a decade. He's made three Sweet 16s. They've won three Big Ten titles under Kevin McGuff. They're right in the thick of it again now in a great, if you think, yeah, it's like, hey, men's Big Ten basketball is pretty deep. I don't know how good it is at the top beyond Purdue. It's deep. Women's Big Ten basketball is deep and good at the top. Five of the top 16 teams in the country. Ohio State is one of them. How do you compete? How do you go about it? He's had a philosophical shift in how he builds his teams. He's learned along the way. And he's chasing a Final Four. He's chasing national championships. So how do you do it? How do you do it right now? How do you try to win? Nadine has done it. They have won a national championship. Kevin is chasing it. They've succeeded, but he wants more. You will learn from this. I promise you, if you care about Ohio State sports holistically in any way, you will learn from this. So we're going to start off with Nadine. I dare you by the end of this interview. Here's the challenge I have for you. And and I I would say like, oh, I'm not here to advocate. The heck with it. I am here to advocate. For the women's tournament in in NCAA hockey, they're going to announce the bracket on Sunday, March 5th. Ohio State's going to be the number one seed, probably. Then they're going to have campus sites 
that'll be like March 9th and 10th. Regional finals, still probably campus sites March 11th and 12th. They will be campus sites, will probably be Ohio State. Then the Frozen Fours in Duluth, Minnesota, March 17th and 19th. If you're in the Columbus area, this is a team to support. If you're looking for something when the men's basketball program isn't doing anything this year and you're not going to take part in March Madness, these are two teams to support right now. Go watch this women's hockey team. The last thing Nadine says in this interview, I dare you, can you, can you listen to it and, and not think to yourself, man, that's a coach whose program I want to support. So there's an opportunity here. I think hockey is a great sport to sort of express your intensity, express your toughness, express your teamwork, right? You can see it. You can feel it in hockey. You can't hide it, right? It's right there in front of you. This is the best team in the country. This is the Georgia of women's hockey. They won it last year. They're the best team again this year. I had never paid attention to women's hockey. I had never talked to Nadine Mazzarol. And you can hear me in this interview. I am impressed from the jump, and I think you will be too. Kevin is awesome. Wait for him around next. He'll be at the end of this pod. But let's start with Nadine Mazzarol. She has now been here... So 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. This is her seventh season at Ohio State. I've been told she makes about 250 grand. That's underpaid to me. They can't lose her. This is, the, this is a game-changing kind of coach who changes a program. And I want you guys, listen. So whatever. I'm just a guy with a microphone. You care about Ohio State. And I wanted to help you. I don't want to direct your passions. I want to expose you to ways for you to choose to direct your passions. This is an exposure. This is an opportunity. Nadine Muzzerall, women's hockey at Ohio State. Thanks to her for joining us after this on Buckeye Talk. All right, joined now by a national champion. Nadine, I lost track of how many national championships you have, but we know you are a national championship winning head coach of the Ohio State women's hockey team. Nadine Muzzerall, thank you so much for joining us here on Buckeye Talk. Thank you very much for having me. How many titles overall is it? National championships as a player, assistant, and head coach? Six. Six. That's two hands, Nadine. (laughs) Do you have all the rings or the trophies somewhere in your house? Well, I have the latest one right here, actually. Oh, it's gorgeous. Look at that. Do you wear it? it? Do you wear it around? I I do not. I actually have it in a nice case on my desk for recruits to see. <laughs> oh, very smart. Oh, you use the championship to recruit. You're, you you got this stuff covered. Um, <laughs> Nadine, what is it like? You guys won the national championship with the Ohio State women's hockey team last year. What does it do for you as a coach, but more specifically for your program? when now you are a national championship program. Thank you. Well, of course, it makes it a lot easier for recruiting, right? A lot of people know who you are and want to be a part of it. And But it it's a heavy weight that you carry as well, right? Because now everybody's after you. You're getting everybody's best. Everybody wants to compete against you in non-conference because they want to get, you know, more RPI points. And um, it's all a privilege, of course, but there's a weight that goes with that when um, you are the best. And so I think um, the best things that come from that is just seeing you know, the pride and the honor that we have grown here with the hockey program in the city of Columbus, but more importantly at The Ohio State. It's just the respect that we're getting and the love we're getting from our fans all around the entire state of Ohio. So you guys have carried it very well this season. You are the national champion. You're the defending national champion, and you are playing like the best team in the country again this year. 
how have you seen your players deal with that? Because we all know that it is a burden. It is a privilege. Everyone wants to climb the mountain. It's hard to stay on top of the mountain. How have your players done it? Well, they've done great. I mean, we've been ranked number one all year except for one week. And we have the longest continuous sport in NCAAs, right? We're starting the first day of school. Our first competition is that third week in September. And it's every weekend until the end of March, uh, two back-to-back games. So it's a grind. It's a lot. Um, So I think that they've handled it very well. I think where we fell short in years past when we were in the Final Four uh, but didn't win was uh, experience. And now we have five fifth-year seniors and four – returning four-year seniors that have been around and been by my side and had my back um, this entire journey. And I think that that was a missing piece that we had before was um, lack of experience in these big, tight games. And I think that's really helped us go the distance. When you're playing Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Duluth, you know, 12 times combined, uh, those are tough games, and you're going to need your leader. So what's separating you when you're both so good? And I think it's really leadership and culture, and they've they've been great with that. Should Ohio State be as good as you guys are? Is that why is Ohio State this good at women's hockey, Nadine? What is the when you took over the 2016-17 season? Ohio State women's hockey was a mess. There were some real issues with the previous head coaches. This had been a program that more often than not, was maybe a 500 team. Why are you – you shouldn't be this good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. Why are you this good? You know what? You're the first person to ask me this question, and I appreciate it because um, I get a chance to answer this now. Um, should we? No, not on paper because geographic location is an issue. We're centrally located. There's, it's not like in Minnesota when I coach there and you want to be a gopher when you're three years old. So it wasn't even yeah. – it was selecting kids. And they have such a depth of hockey there that they have all U18 kids that go on to the National and Olympics, right? So um, I think, you know, when I took over, we jumped two spots right away. Um, I really did. I really honestly had to work real hard. I mean, I was at the office till one in the morning, you know, for two, three years. The one thing I knew I was going to do is I was going to work outwork any opponent. Any, any other coach. And I had to find players that had that mentality. It's kind of like the Rocky mentality where we're, we might not be the, the best looking team out there and how we do it, but we're going to grind out some wins and we're going to do a blue collar star. We're going to play fast. We're going to play fit. Cause the one thing that we could control was our fitness. And I was going to make damn sure that we were going to be the most fit team in the country. And so we actually eliminated alcohol. Um, that was a big step for us, and that was a big challenge. Because- wait, wait, this is hockey, right? <laughs> this is hockey. Don't I thought everyone you win a game and all the twenty-one-year-olds have a nice crack open a beer to celebrate <laughs> a win. You want to know what most hockey rinks I go to do have a bar? <laughs> so, <laughs> go hand in hand. Listen, I get it. Like I was in college, I had my moments for sure. But one thing I can say is I get a chance to talk to Nadine all over again at twenty, and I say, hey. I don't remember a party that defined my life, but I do remember six national championships that have. And you will forever have time to party and drink and tailgate. But will you ever be able to stand in front of people and say that you won a national championship? That's like that's a rare percentage. And so we really had to um, dig deep. The one thing we were going to do was just outwork our opponents and be more physically fit. And then when we started to chip away and win some games, they started to believe in what I was doing. That was the biggest thing. Cause like you had mentioned earlier, Doug, it was, why would I trust you? 
you're the third coach in three years, right? If you were here, you didn't have the same coach twice. So who are you and why would I trust you? So I really, that was why I was at the office for so many hours. I was having one-on-one meetings with all these girls, um, bi-weekly for them, every day for me, and just to get them to trust and respect me, to know that I was competent and that they would follow me. And so when they started to see the results, it just took its own course, you know, that they didn't need the drinking. They can party and do whatever they want for the other six months of their life. But I just said, I needed to buy in and let's see what where this takes us. And then it brought us to the Frozen Four and eventually a national championship. And I don't have one girl that comes back and regrets any part of that experience. So I think we ended up choosing the right the right path for them. And, you know, and, and now they get to stand on top of the pyramid looking down at their peers and say, I did it. We're we're seven minutes in, and yeah. I'm I'm ready to come play for you. <laughs> I don't drink a lot anyway. I can't skate, but oh, I can see. <laughs> I can feel it, right? I mean, I don't know. I've been around sports a long time, and sometimes you just feel some things. Did you feel like you knew you wanted to be a head coach, and you were looking for that opportunity to run a program? I bet you, you don't know for sure, but I bet you thought. I'm going to be pretty good at this when I get my program. Well, you know, honestly, um, the timing was um, really not set right for me to be a head coach. Um, I was five years at my alma mater coaching Minnesota. We won four and five years there when I was an assistant. My husband played football for Minnesota. And I remember when they fired their second coach in two years, Ohio State. Yep. And Diana Sabo, the then deputy athletic director that we had, deputy senior deputy athletic director, and she called me. And I remember talking to my husband. I'm like, Ohio State keeps calling me and texting me. I think they're um, calling me about the head coaching job. And he was in the backyard. And I remember he was chopping down trees, shrubs. And he says, are you out of your mind? This is the Ohio State. It doesn't get any bigger than this. And I said, yeah, well, their hockey team's awful. And he said, well, go fix it. He goes, you'll have every resource you need because of football. Go put your fingerprint on it. Go fix it. And that's what we did. I mean, thanks to our football program and all their success and their glory, every athlete here benefits from that. And the only unfortunate piece is when you're trying to sell that to recruits, they don't see it until they're here. Mm -hmm. But what they did see was the change and the shift in our record and us going postseason. And they wanted to be a part of that. And I mean, it's the Ohio State. It's excitement. It's sexy, right? All these athletes and NFL players, NBA players, Olympians. I mean, you want to be a part of that. Why wouldn't you if you're a true athlete? You're around greatness all the time. And so that started to pull in players. And then when, you know, our record started to speak for itself. And so I really just wanted to um, be a part of something bigger. I didn't want to just be um, another member on on a team when I became a gopher, I, I went to Minnesota. Um, I was being recruited out East cause those were the top teams back then. And I just remember saying, I don't want to just be another number on another team. I want to help build a legacy. And so I went to Minnesota and of course we became successful very, very quickly. And it was awesome to coach your alma mater, but I saw an opportunity too with Ohio state, you know, being as great as it is, it's the pinnacle of athletics, but their hockey team, was awful like you had mentioned earlier it was below 500 for like 17 or 18 years and the way I looked at it because we were doing this in Minnesota in our house we were remodeling our house from the ground up at the time and I looked at Ohio State as 
the same thing as my house, right? It has a really good foundation. It just needed to be remodeled. And that's the way I looked at this program. And I had a two-year-old and a five-month-old at the time. So it wasn't a great time for me to leave. But my husband said, get the hell out of here. You got to go to Ohio State because the vision and the um, future is bright. So I did. So when you have a situation like this, when you are coming to a large athletic program, a well-known athletic program, but the team specifically that you're coming to coach has not been successful, what did you feel like the standard was, the expectation was? Did you feel when you got here, was it just, hey, man, like, we're a mess. Just get it back, you know, to to decent. Or do you feel a national championship or frozen four level of expectation, a standard that, hey, like you said, it is Ohio State. Maybe we should be good at everything. What was it like when you got here? Well, I was definitely drinking out of a fire hose because when yeah. I hired, it was the end of August. School had started. Steve Rollick, the men's head coach, was running practices for our team. I wasn't even here. I met the team four weeks later um, at our first game. That's when I first met them. And um, I I couldn't get in right away because I'm Canadian. I needed to change my work visa. But um, you do feel like, honestly, I was part of um, a, a little fish in a big pond, I felt, because Ohio State is football, you know, and and yep. whereas Minnesota was hockey. So I felt that difference. Um, but I did feel, even though I came from a Big Ten school, there's the Big Ten and then there's the Ohio State. And it felt very different. And you do feel that you have to be excellent. Uh, and you do feel you have to be successful right away. Because, you know, we've had success with a lot of our sports teams here, not just football. And um, I did feel that weight, but I was excited for the opportunity and the challenge because I knew I had the support and the resources to build it. Okay. So you're incredibly successful. What are the resources like at Ohio State for the women's hockey team? Now, aren't they maybe building a new rink? And you can be honest, Gene's fine with it. I'll make sure Gene's, I mean, listen, you you build up capital here, Nadine. When Nadine talks, people have to listen. You've done it at a place that had no tradition for women's hockey. I said, this is this is not ingrained at Ohio State. And what you have done is remarkable. To stay at the top of the women's hockey world, do you have what you need or is there more of a push that needs to be made? Sure. Fair question. I mean, behind the scenes, we have absolutely everything we need, you know, in terms of our nutrition, our recovery, our health, um, academics, um, our chartered flights. I mean, these young ladies are treated like elite athletes and professional athletes from behind the scenes. Now, of course, the eyesore that everybody knows, and it's not like a secret, is our hockey rink is awful. Yep. And, um, and we know that. So that's where we were fortunate enough last week with Gene battling, um, you know, for, for us to have a rink. We, we got it granted by the Board of Trustees last year, granted, you know, our approval to build a rink. And so I think, you know, these young kids are driven, right, by what looks good, external motivators. They're 16, 17 years old, right? And that's what they expect when they come to Ohio State. They don't expect to see that rink. They really don't expect to see that. So they go to Penn State, they go to Wisconsin, they go to Minnesota, and they see the other Big Ten hockey rinks. That's what they expect when they come to Ohio State. And when they see the rink, they're stunned by it. And I just said, I don't ever want to lose a recruit because of a facility, because we are the Ohio State. We are the pinnacle of athletics. We need to be 
um, elite in all aspects of all sports. And so I think we've done fair enough um, our job of winning a national title and conference titles and um, in the rink that we have. So I want to make sure we stay true to those kids that don't care about what the rink looks like, but they've definitely been deserving of a new facility. They put your name on it. I'm going to think Paul and Nadine. <laughs> or Muzzy. Maybe Muzzy. Oh, the Muzzy. Nickname. Oh, I would love to skate in the Muzzy. <laughs> hey, you guys going over the Muzz? Yeah, let's go skate at the Muzz. We've got a big game at the Muzz this weekend. Nadine, how did you go about recruiting? What What is it? I assume you don't have enough talent only in the state of Ohio to build a national championship team. And again, you are not Minnesota. You are not some of these teams maybe with the established programs. What was your recruiting strategy to go out and find the talent? Well, this is one of the perks, again, being Ohio State and having the resources because of football success is our budget is rather large for recruiting, uh, more so than probably our opponents. But will we spend that money? Yeah, we're going to spend that money. And that's what I told my staff is like, listen, we got to be everywhere because um, right now in the beginning, we had to clean up a reputation. Yeah, we wanted to win, but we had to clean up a reputation. If I'm a mom and I have a 16-year-old daughter, why would I send my daughter to you? Are you going to be there next year? And you seem like a hot mess, quite honestly. And I got a lot of support from Jean and Diana to be like, whatever you need this first year to help clean up this mess, we're going to give to you. And so the biggest thing was a lot of uh, phone calls, a lot of in-person recruiting, um, face-to-face and um, being at every games and going to some the elite players' um, practices and showing the love. You just had to show that we love you more than anybody else. And we just wanted to have our brand everywhere in every rink. And um, it was tiring. I mean, it looks all sexy and bedazzled now, right? Like we're national champions, but the road it took to get here for me and my staff, I mean, it's grueling and it's high demand. But that's what you have to be to be on top. And now that we are here, we have to sustain it too. So we can't stop recruiting or have a lower standard now just because we're good, because everybody else is going to up their game. So we have to continue to put a wedge between us and everybody else, and that's going to be our faces everywhere. One thing that we started to do a couple of years ago is hockey camps in those high states like Minnesota. I do an OSU camp right in Minneapolis, right? And so that Mm. they they don't have to travel to – OSU, we can be in your backyard. And so they get to know me and our our philosophies and our tempos of practice through the camp. And then they will come. You know, then you build those relationships when they're younger. And then they come to visit you when they're able to. Nadine, I'm not I'm not here. I'm not trying to put like pressure on everybody or, or anything, but the things that you're talking about, right? You came in to a big time athletic department that did not have a tradition in this sport, and you felt like you were given the resources and then you had that name and you went out and worked your tail off and look at what you've done you you have won a national championship you have built a program in women's hockey that's as good as any program in the country i don't i don't want to be painting with too broad of a brush but is this do you feel like would you guess that maybe this is sort of like the standard at ohio state like hey we're pretty famous we got a lot of money here we should kind of be good at everything. Is that an unrealistic expectation for an athletic department with 36 sports or should Ohio State be good at everything? Well, I think the, there is a standard of excellence um, from the athletic department, from the fans, from the people of the state of Ohio. They demand excellence. And I think that there is an immense amount of pride in all sports. 
And yes, of course, football is the machine. We know that we want football to be the best. Right. But I think even, you know, people all around the state of Ohio care that we want care if it's synchronized swimming care if it's soccer they just want athletics to be good and i think every coach here does work their tail off to be the best and i think that they have an immense amount of pride of being former athletes and competitors themselves that heck yeah they want to be the best and i think if we're going to carry 36 sports we got to make sure all of them are successful is everybody coming after you nadine how many other schools are offering you jobs right now when you get a ring um, so far, you know, my loyalty is to Ohio State and they gave me an opportunity when I was just a second assistant. And I'm very loyal to that and very res- much respect for Gene and Diana for hiring me. The, uh, they, they pan you enough that they rene- <laughs> you renegotiate the deal after the national championship. You're this is I can't believe again, this is it doesn't make sense to me. No, Ohio I, State won a national championship and no offense. You said it in that rink. I know. It's, it's central Ohio in a lousy rink, and you won the national championship. Nadine, you're, they're paying you, right? They gave <laughs> you a new deal? <laughs> well, um, I had a pretty good deal the year before we won the national championship. And it was uh, Diana hooked me up before she went off to the Big Ten. So okay. There's still right. – I got to continue to fight the fight, of course, and continue to win. I mean, winning, winning is enough, right, to, to walk in. But honestly, um, my biggest thing was I just love winning. I mean, of course, money matters. Don't get me wrong, but I want to win. And so um, I think that for me, I became a better coach because I know that you're like, how is this happening? And I, I shake my head sometimes, too, and feel like it's a, it is an unbelievable uh, task that we've done here. But I tell you what, and I don't mean to sound corny when I say this, but I became a better coach when I became a mom. And what I mean by that is I'm going to love you and I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to be loyal and have your back no matter what. But I might have to whip your butt from time to time and hold you accountable and, and discipline you. And they, they respect that. They love the tough love. And because they know at the end of the day, I'm doing it for the greater good of everybody else. And um, they respect that. And they know, like I said earlier, I'll have their back. And it's okay to say no to these kids sometimes. You know, like I talk to coaches all the time and I'm like, why don't you just tell them no? And they're afraid often that they're going to lose the talent. I'm like, yeah, but you're going to bring in the talent and you're bringing in a headache. So you have to coach up the kids that are going to be warriors for you, but more importantly for each other. And and that's what we did here. We trade, We stayed true to our standard and never deviated from our moral compass. And I think that that's the biggest thing that has made us successful is our culture. Are you going to coach Canada's Olympic hockey team one day? You're going to, right? Well, I'm not sure. They have a pretty good coach right now. He's doing his thing. But, um, you know, whether it's Canada or the U.S., I'd be happy to coach either country. Oh, um, oh we can get you. We You do it for the U.S.? Oh, yeah, I would do it for the U.S. Oh, Oh, let's do that. Let's do that. No, no, no. That okay. No, 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 no. Sorry, Canada. We're keeping you. Well, I'll keep I didn't mind even my, know. My husband's an American who was in the military. My kids are American. I've been in the U.S. since I was for thirty years. I'm forty-four. Oh. I thirteen. So, I mean, I am Canadian, but I've been in America for longer than I've been in Canada. And America yeah, no. a lot for me. So, I have a lot of respect for this country. Would be more than happy to stand on that bench. Oh, okay. We're going to do that then. 
<laughs> okay. I'll give you the numbers. I, yeah. No, no, no. I, I'll, I'll, <laughs> let me make some calls. Let me make some calls. I carry a lot of weight in the hockey world. Uh, I saw the the replay of you guys winning the national championship last year, and I think you had tears at the corner I of did. your eye. What I What's did. the moment like? And again, you would experience it, but to experience it as a player and as an assistant, but now knowing what it was like when you took over and knowing the work that it took to make this even possible and knowing how hard your players grinded to make it happen. How did it feel in that moment? You know, I, you said it best. I had tears in my eyes because, um, yeah, I won it as a player and you can control that outcome. You feel like you're in more control when you're playing. Um, and uh, as an assistant, you know, again, it was at Minnesota. And not that that wasn't important for me from my alma mater, but the table was already set. They had already had a dynasty. You know what I mean? That they, they were just continuing to build from that. And when I took over OSU and to see where we were to where we where we stood on top of the mountain amongst some of the great teams, um, I just felt exhausted. <laughs> I felt mm. wow, I we did this. I, I, all those late nights and missed birthdays and missed anniversaries and missed holidays. And my family gets it. God love them. But it was worth it. You know, it was worth all of it because it was my dream and my ambition. And I have a husband that supports it and my mom that lives with us and supports it. And my kids get it. And, and then more importantly, the parents of our current players that trusted in me to develop their kid, not just as a hockey player, but as a young woman to be tomorrow's leader, you know? And um, it was, they will say it was a community of all of us, my staff and what they do behind the scenes to keep them healthy and to keep them more fit than anybody else. I mean, it was just a feeling of such joy and accomplishment. And I wish my dad was alive to have seen it because I think he would have been really proud of me um, of not following the path that everybody else did. You know, I was challenged a lot my first two years, three years, challenged what I was doing and how I, my vision. And, but the only, but the people that didn't challenge me were my players. <laughs> they stuck behind it. And honestly, at the end of the day, I'm like, that's who I'm here for is my team. So, you know, I've had coaches come and go and that's okay. Cause I learned a lot from them. And, but at the end of the day, it was, it was about the student athlete always. And I think that they felt that. And, um, and then when we actually, when that buzzer went, I just, I, I honestly, I, I couldn't believe that um, it happened. I mean, we definitely earned it, but it doesn't mean it always ends up that way for you in the end and the fact that it did um i watch that highlight video from time to time to this day just to remind me don't forget the grind when should the new rink open <laughs> when are we looking a couple years well the rumors that i've heard is 2026 all right so we got to keep you ohio state's got to keep you around for at least that long even if you're doing the olympic stuff off to the side you gotta yeah. you gotta stick to play in the muzzy Right. I got it. Yeah, we'll have everybody. Oh, um, I, I've been. I've got to admit, like they've been great. You know, the athletic department of getting my advice on on the rink and ideas. But if you have this platform here, Doug, and you got a lot yeah. of followers, anybody that wants to donate to the hockey rink, you know, I give them my number. No joke. <laughs> Listen, man. Do you want to support a team that is succeeding despite obstacles. This is the best team in the nation in a lousy rink. Go support the women's hockey team. 
put some money towards the muzzy. Yeah, we can get <laughs> Buckeye Talk listeners to do that. Um, Nadine, I could talk to you for 10 hours about this stuff, even though my hockey knowledge is limited, because coaching is coaching. Exactly. Player relationships are player relationships. Recruiting is recruiting. Winning is winning. Grinding <laughs> is grinding. And this is why we wanted to have you on Buckeye Talk, to talk about how you do it successfully at a place like Ohio State, and there's no better example than you. So congratulations to you and your program and all your success and good luck getting title number two this season. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Thank you. You, uh, you heard my dog probably in the background there. That's, I brought her to work today. That's the part of being a mom. You're a mom, you're a dog owner, you know, yeah. it's just a, a, a bibliography with my daughter on Dolly Parton. And <laughs> so, yeah, she chose Dolly Parton. I was like, that's awesome. That's a good one. <laughs> You know, when I'm not at the rink, I'm doing schoolwork and, um, you know, taking dogs on walks. You know, just normal human being, normal life. Yeah, so. yeah you're just but- a normal human being with six national championship rings. <laughs> yes, but thanks so much for having me. I, I, you're right, though. It is, regardless of the sport, um, the philosophy and the mindset doesn't change, right? Treat people kind and take care of each other, and 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 but also be a badass at the same time, and they'll follow you, so... Nadine Mazzarol, maybe the biggest badass we've ever had here on Buckeye Talk. Thank you so much for your time. You got it. Thanks so much for your time. All right. That was great. Thanks again to Nadine. And now here comes Kevin. Kevin McGuff in his 10th season as the head coach of the Ohio State women's basketball team. As we sit here right now, Ohio State is fourth in the women's basketball Big Ten standings, and there are three top 10 teams ahead of them. Number two, Indiana is 16 and one in Big Ten play. Number seven, Maryland is 14 and three. Number six, Iowa is 14 and three. Then you have number 16, Iowa is 12 and five. Michigan's number 12, they're 10 and six. Illinois is number 25 in the country, they're 10 and seven. So that's six top 25 teams in the Big Ten. That is five top 16 teams in the Big Ten. Again, that's looking at possibly five top four seeds in the NCAA basketball tournament. Kevin McGuff in his 10th season won three Big Ten titles, including last year has made the six, Sweet 16 three times, and he's only been in six tournaments so far because um, his first year they didn't make it. They had to reset, right? And then there was the COVID year, and then they were banned from the postseason at the end of the 21 uh, season. So then last year they went back to the – last year, this is what they're coming off of. Tied for first in the Big Ten in the regular season, made the Sweet 16. It's a great year. So he's made three of six Sweet 16s in the tournament when he's gotten there. And they're going to be back in the tournament this year with another chance to make the Sweet 16. But he wants more. I do think this is interesting. Context changes. I did cover women's basketball when I first got to the Cleveland Plain Dealer, primarily because Jantel Lavender was from Cleveland and she was the star of the Ohio State women's basketball team. And Jim Foster was the head coach there. And I got to know Jim a little bit. We used to talk about Philadelphia Phillies baseball together. And he was really good. He was here for 11 seasons, won six Big Ten titles, uh, there were six in a row between 2004-5 and 2009-10, which is like when I covered them. They won the Big Ten or tied for first in the Big Ten every year. Did not have the tournament success. Made the Sweet 16 three out of 11 years, and they were a really high seed a lot of the time. And then he had one year in 12-13 where they dipped. They finished eighth in the Big Ten, were 18-13, and, and he was gone. So his first 10 years, he made the tournament every year. He'd been an established coach, came here from Vanderbilt, and he established such a standard that then with the dip, it wasn't enough. So Kevin McGuff steps into that, and now Kevin McGuff is trying to elevate, right? This is a good league. This is a deep league. They've had more consistent Sweet 16 success, and they've still been competing at the top of the Big Ten, but they also got some titles. So, you know, just like direct contrast to the men's program, 
he's gotten over the top in a way that Chris Holtman, who's in year six, has not. He has the Sweet 16s. He has the Big Ten regular season titles, which to me are the best ways to define things. And you'll hear Kevin talk about that. So how does Kevin try to do it? What does Kevin want to do? What is the women's basketball program competing against? What tier are they in nationally? What's their recruiting strategy? I think you have a lot of things you could learn here. So let's talk with Kevin McGuff about Ohio State women's basketball. And you know that there is going to be a tournament for this team. You know that's going to happen and you know they have a shot at the Sweet 16. Kevin McGuff on Buckeye Talk. Joined now by Kevin McGuff, head coach of the Ohio State women's basketball team. Kevin, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to join us here on Buckeye Talk. Of course. Appreciate you having me on. Man, Big Ten women's hoops is a grind, man. My, what is happening? What are you, five in the top 16? This is, this league, how nuts is this league this year? It's incredible. I mean, it's always really tough, but right now it's just the deepest it's ever been. And, um... The other thing that's been really cool is attendance is way up everywhere. And so the environments are great. And it's just it's just a, a really great time to be in Ohio State, be at Ohio State in women's basketball. What does it mean? Like, okay, cool. It's fun. It's exciting that your league is good. But also, come on, man. Like, is it too, is this a little too good for you? What's it like when <laughs> the league's this competitive? Because it's hard for I mean, every game, somebody's got to win, somebody's got to lose, yeah. right? It's hard for everybody, for a bunch of teams to be this good at once, isn't it? Extremely hard. And, you know, it just kind of speaks to, it's tough to take a, take losses and, and just how kids handle it, how coaches handle it, how the whole program handles it. And you're not going to get through this league unscathed. And so the ability to deal with tough losses and to continue to show up at practice and get better and get prepared for the next one is really difficult. We know how... You guys have been good all year. Your record at the start of the year was extraordinary, right? I mean, yeah. you got as high as number two in the rankings. Yeah. And then you get in this league, and it's like, hey, guess what? Indiana's good, and Iowa's good. Maryland's good, and you're not going to get through this league undefeated. What's it like for your team and your players, Kevin, when you have such a great record at the start, and you still have a great record, but again, you don't want to accept losing, but you can't let every loss in a tough conference knock you off your stride that's exactly it and I think you know by by winning our first 19 we didn't have to deal with any adversity really well we dealt with some adversity with injuries but in terms of wins and losses and how you process that and deal with it we didn't have to deal with it and now all of a sudden they come in bunches and you know I think the obvious point is it it really shakes your confidence and that's sort of what happened to us for a stretch there we took a couple tough losses and because what had made us really special is like we were really, really confident in what we were doing and how we were playing and how we were kind of imposing our will on, on the, on the games. And then you take a couple, couple tough losses in a row and it really kind of shook us quite frankly. And um, so we've had to work to kind of repair our confidence and remind ourselves who we are and what makes us good and, and get back to some of the fundamentals of, of, of what has allowed us to get off to such a great start. Big win at Michigan. You're just coming off. How how big was that as you're heading into the last game of the regular season, Big Ten tournament, NCAA tournament? What's a win like that do for you? Huge because, you know, we, we needed to win. We didn't really need to just win. We needed to beat a good team. And, and to beat a good team on the road like Michigan, they're a great team. Um, it, it was really big for us. And I'm hoping that kind of – it takes another step in us kind of restoring the confidence that we had early in the year because, um, you know, we had beaten some teams lately, but but – but we needed to beat one of the better teams in our league. Tenth year now at Ohio State for you. Why are you here? 
Why did you come here, Kevin? Why was Ohio State a job you wanted to take? Well, you know, I grew up out just outside Cincinnati. And when I got into the to women's basketball, to this profession, um, I always looked at Ohio State as, as just with my connections to the state, you know, one of my quote unquote dream jobs, for lack of a better term. And so when the opportunity arose, um, and, and we, by the way, I came from University of Washington, where we really liked it there. We liked it there. We liked living in Seattle. It was a great community. And, uh, you know, I know it sounds cliche, but really at that time, after ho- having only been there two years, this is probably the only place I would have left for. And so it's a really special place. We all know that. I mean, it comes with a lot of pressure and expectations, but that's what the great jobs come with. So that's part of it. And, um, you know, another connection, not that I came here because of that, um, but I'm really close friends with Thad Mata. All the way back to my first job at Miami of Ohio um, in the early 90s, he was an assistant there. I was an assistant on the women's side. And then I was at Notre Dame as an assistant when he was the head coach at Xavier. So I went to Xavier. I followed him to Xavier. Then I followed him to Ohio State. So I tell people I've basically just been following Thad Mata around my whole career. That uh, that Thad guy, I don't know. Watch out for that yeah. guy, Thad Mata. He tells a lot of Will Ferrell jokes. You yeah, I know, I know. With that, so you you decide to come here, and one of the things, Kevin, and I'm talking to a bunch of head coaches. I'm just fascinated by what the expectation level is, what the standard is, like how good how good are you supposed to be, right? And everybody's like, "Hey, what what a national championship!" I know every coach in every sport in the world at every level wants to win a championship. But Kevin, how would you describe just being at Ohio State, an athletic department with 36 sports, with a football program that drives it? But man, Ohio State's good at a lot of stuff. How would you describe what it's like to be a head coach at Ohio State and what the standard, what the expectations are? You know, I know that we talk a lot about we want to be in the hunt for Big Ten championships almost every year. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily happen every year, but that's sort of I think an, uh, a, an expectation that's in our program and within the athletic department for most sports. And then we want to make deep runs in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, certainly there's all the things off the court in terms of how our kids behave and, and the GPAs and those type of things. But from a from an athletic standpoint, I think two things that are always constant, chasing Big Ten championships and trying to make deep runs in the NCAA tournament. And it's not easy, you know, especially this day and age with NIL and the portal and all that type of stuff and roster management. Um, but that's something that, that we are striving to do yearly. And I think that's a, a expectation certainly Gene has for all sports. So to that end, Kevin, you're in year 10. You've won the regular season Big Ten title three times. You've made three Sweet 16s. We had the weird COVID year. You guys had another year where you weren't eligible to participate right. in the postseason. Yep. With that expectation level, I know you always want to be better, but it's been pretty good. Do you? How do you feel about – you just laid out what the standards and expectations are. How do you feel about what the ability of your program has been to live up to those? Yeah, I think that we've done that. I think where, you know, quite frankly, we need to take a big step is we need to make a deeper run in the tournament. And I think that, um, you know, like last year we got to Sweet 16 and then we lost at the buzzer um, to Texas to take take another step and go to the Elite Eight. And I think that's the next step for us. And that's what, what, you know, we're really pushing for. And, you know, whether it's this year or the coming years, I feel good about the talent we have in our program, where our culture's at, where we're recruiting. Um, So I I think we have even better days ahead and I'm optimistic about that. Um, But I think that's the next step for us. and, And that's what we're really pushing everybody to try to do. 
So, Kevin, this is a, a largely football audience. They're certainly aware of the women's basketball team and the success that you guys have had. I'm always looking to give people context. I think to the average sports fan who's not fully wrapped into women's college basketball, you have an awareness of what Tennessee and, and UConn have been historically in women's college basketball. Certainly what Don Staley and South Carolina are doing right now is at a very, very high level. You've seen success at other places like Baylor or some other programs. Where do you think Ohio State fits into this? And I'm not asking you to shortchange your program in any way. I'm not asking you to overreact to what Ohio State should be. To me, it's like, okay, maybe there's a tradition at places. I know Tennessee isn't quite Tennessee after Pat Summit left and her tragic passing. We, we see what Gino has done long-term at UConn. I don't know. Is there maybe like this top, 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 top tier of women's college basketball? Every sport has its blue bloods. I don't like, where does Ohio State fit in, in your mind? And if you want to pass on that question, I don't know. It's a hard question. Yeah, no, I, I would say I'll, I'll answer it this way. One, when I was kind of coming through the ranks, it was Tennessee and Connecticut. And that was, and it was everybody else. And, you know, that rivalry was good for the sport, but I also think the lack of better teams was bad for the sport as well because it just didn't drive yep. enough interest. And I think what you've seen happen over the years are a couple of things. One, back then, there were not enough players coming out of high school to facilitate other great programs. Tennessee was getting two or three of the top ten. Connecticut was getting two or three of the top ten. And then the other people outside the top ten in terms of the talent, they weren't the same as the top 10. Now there are 50s. For example, JC Sheldon in some people's quote unquote rankings, wasn't a top 50 player in the country. If you can imagine that is with how good she is. So there's a lot more talent. So now you see a lot more parity. And so you also see a lot more investment across the country, including Ohio state. And so kids are going different places and there's the, the pool is way deeper. Um, so I think there's more parity, um, and that wasn't necessarily what you asked. And back to, I think South Carolina has really distinguished themselves right now. I think LSU is, is going to make a big push with Kim Mulkey and the resources and the way they're getting behind her program. Um, Connecticut is still one of the Blue Bloods, obviously. Notre Dame had a great run, and Muffet retired. Um, I still think they're going to be one of those. So I think you got like South Carolina and UConn probably out in front of everybody right now. And then you've got – 25 programs right after that that I think can make a big jump. I think we're one of those with the resources that we have and kind of where our program's at right now that we're kind of in that next group. Okay, that's that's a great answer. And thank you for giving that because context here, context again, right? Resources, let's have that discussion. The facilities that you have at Ohio State, the money that is put into the program, where do you think you are competitively in that realm do you, do you have – are you equal to most of the other teams that are trying to compete at the highest level of women's college basketball? Yes, I think so. Um, you know, really, if you – the way – just take the Big Ten. You know, everybody's traveling about the same way. You go around, the facilities are similar. Um, I think, you know, we can separate ourselves with the brand of Ohio State. Um, I think Columbus gives us an edge, in my opinion. It's a great school. Um, point is, I, I would say we're not getting kids because of our facilities and we're also not losing them. Okay. If that makes sense. Um, I think that, um, you know, the way we travel and the way we, the budget we have to recruit is, is on par with most people. I, I think what you're going to see 
and I know you have this discussion about football uh, to the nth degree, but NIL resources and how people get behind that is going to start to separate people, even in women's basketball, I think. And so that's where I'm hopeful we can get um, some people behind us to try to give us a chance in that space to compete at the highest level. Are you seeing that in recruiting already? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So recruiting, when you go about recruiting, what is your talent base in the 300 mile radius around Columbus? And what is your strategy for national recruiting? We want to be really, really strong within say a five hour radius. And we want to be the best in in the Midwest in terms of acquiring talent. And we've done you know, recently fairly well. If you look at our starting lineup, Taylor Mikesell, uh, J.C. Sheldon, if she's healthy, uh, Cody McMahon, Taylor Theory, all from Ohio. So we, we've got some of the good, best Ohio kids, and we want to continue to do that because this state typically, we have great high school coaches and AAU coaches. It typically um, produces pretty good girls basketball players who can you know, matriculate to, to college and be successful. So we want to be really strong with that and maintain our relationships um, we will certainly recruit nationally and internationally. Well, I'll get to that in a second. We'll recruit nationally. The tricky part is because we're at Ohio State, we can usually get anybody to take our call. Um, but you kind of have to decipher and weed through, okay, are they just kind of interested in Ohio State because we've got a big name and a big brand? But what's the connection? For example, we want to recruit somebody from California. I want to know, okay, what are, why are you interested in Ohio State? So we're not spinning our wheels, flying to California all the time to recruit a certain somebody, and we really don't have a chance. They were just they just like the shiny part of Ohio State. Um, but like every once in a while, you'll run into somebody who, okay, maybe they have a family member here or somebody went to Ohio State. That that and so those are the things we're looking at when we get way outside of what we would call our breadbasket, which is the Midwest. Now we have also started to recruit internationally, and. It's a twofold strategy. One, if you get if you look at our style of play, we've kind of morphed into like a five out offensively. We look like an NBA team or a European team. We have found better success finding post players that can play in that system in Europe than we have in the States. Just I think how they train and the way they play the game there. Um, the other part of it is, and we're never going to go like super heavy on internationals, but they really can't get involved in the NIL space, unfortunately, at least right now. And so you, if you get two or three kids that at least you don't have to worry about that part of it, I think that can fit into kind of our recruiting strategy as well. So that international strategy then, do you have a staff member who is tasked with really keeping tabs on the international market? How, you, how do you decide that? And how much do you need to get eyeballs on players there in person? And how much do you do off tape? Yeah, so a little bit of both. Um, as as you know, in everything in sports, there's always cottage industries developing. So as international recruiting has gotten bigger, there's now a bunch of scouting services you can rely on. So there's people in Europe who will watch all these games and, and provide a scouting service for a fee, of course. And so a lot of times we start with that. And, and we have trusted people there that we work with. And if, now we don't we don't offer kids scholarships or recruit them based on somebody else's recommendation, but we will go watch them based on somebody's recommendation. And for example, we're on a, you know, a couple kids. I obviously, as you know, I can't speak specifically, but we're yeah. on a couple kids um, from Finland. And I went um, last August 
we knew this would be a good tournament with a lot of good talent in Europe. I went to Greece um, to watch a tournament last August and, and came back with a couple names and a couple really high level kids that were trying to actively trying to get. I was in Finland once. I had a layover there when I was coming back from Russia and I ate at a pizza hut in Finland. That was like the only thing I did in Finland. So if you ever wind, have you been to Finland? I have. I have. You have. Did you eat at, did you eat at the pizza hut I did, in Finland? I skipped no? the pizza hut. Oh, come on. I try to get the, you gotta, I, hey, when I travel internationally, I try to I try to do, you know, wherever I'm at, I try to eat what's what's popular there just to try to immerse myself in the culture. See, that's the opposite. Wherever I travel, I eat Pizza Hut, no matter where I am. I eat Pizza Hut in London. I've eaten Pizza Hut in Finland. Wherever I go, I eat Pizza Probably Hut. Probably eat Pizza so Hut you... and, and you're drinking Miller Lite instead of the native beer, right? That's, that's what you're doing, yeah. aren't you? I am who I am, yeah. Kevin. I can't help it. Wherever I go, I am who I am. So this idea, you talked about sort of this, this style of play that you've uh, adapted um, to now. Is that a change? For you, why, yeah. why, why are you playing this way right yeah, now? Uh, t- yeah, so what, when I first got here, we, the, technically we were doing like what we call the dribble drive. It's basically a motion offense predicated, predicated on dribble penetration and reads off of that. It's for round one. And the reason why we have gotten away from that, one, we, I thought there was a, it was too much dribbling and not enough passing and moving the ball. But the, the, other, the biggest thing, and this is why if you watch NBA teams play, they all play with a five-out system. The reason is we want to take the other team's post player, what they call rim, protect, rim protector, away from the basket. So now when we're running actions and driving it to the basket and getting to the rim, there's no one there to block shots or alter shots, which is what we were dealing with in our four-round one system. And that's why the NBA does it. It's, um, it's kind of analytics. If you can take the other team's post player and get them away from the hoop, when you get to the basket, you score and finish at a much higher level. And it's been really good for us. We've been way more efficient offensively. We've been in the top 10 in the country for the last three or four years in scoring um, in, a, in just overall offensive efficiency in most years in assists as well. So it's really helped us. Um, and, and it's helped our recruiting. I think, I think we're going to take another level in recruiting. Kids like how we play because we play fast. We play with great spacing. We press full court. And, and I think we've got a lot of good younger players around the country interested um, because of our style. So listen, like you can't be beholden to that, right? Mm-hmm. But doesn't it matter to play a style? You got to win with it. Yes. But to play a style that draws talent, that's fun, that's enticing. How big is that in recruiting? It's, I think it's huge. I think it's huge. And you're right. It's got to, at the end of the day, it's got to take you where you want to go. And it's got to be effective. Just like you, I'm sure you talk about this stuff in football all the time. It's like, yep. why do, why do, why is this wide receiver you? We got a great coach. Who's a receivers coach? He's a great recruiter. But those kids come because Ryan Day is a great play caller, and they play a great style. And it's similar in basketball. So, Kevin, you, you established this program. You're winning at a high level consistently. You've had great players come through here, right? We talk about someone like Kelsey Mitchell. Yeah. You, we we know what great players, what rare players look like in the history of Ohio State women's basketball. Whether it's Katie Smith or Jantel Lavender yeah. or the greats of the greats. When you establish a winning tradition like this how i mean obviously it's important sometimes is that what it takes that you have everything you need and then you get the rare player and in that window that's where you say okay we have great talent we have a great system we have everything we need and then okay now we just we got one of the best five players in the country how valuable how is it necessary a women's basketball to have that rare talent to get over the top? 
I think it's a huge advantage, obviously. Um, but I, I will tell you for us, I will admittedly tell you, when I first got here, we did a really good job of accumulating talent. I think we're doing a way better job, and it's me, of putting together better teams. So we won Big Ten championships early on. We went to the Sweet 16. We had Kelsey, and we had great talent, and we had great kids. I don't, it's, I don't know. I hate to say we had too much talent. I think that's not – we didn't have the talent that really fit. We, For example, we, we have – last year we went to the Sweet 16 and won the Big Ten like we did when we had Kelsey. We had a lot less talent, but we had a better team. And so now I think, as I've told you, the next step is to take a deep run is to – to, to get that rare player or just a little more talent with the culture that we have in place in the, the chemistry and the teamwork. And, and it's not a reflection of the kids that we have when I was early on here, because they were great kids. I had just, I didn't, I was thinking accumulating talent too much and less of, okay, how do these people fit together? And how do these young people, how are they going to work together? I'm way more cognizant of that now. And I think we, we function way better in terms of our chemistry and execution and how we function on the court. Um, but you do have to have that talent. So I still, we're still accumulating talent. We're just a little more mindful how they fit together. So when you talk about this, having a better team, is that more a roster building conversation that you're thinking about in the recruiting process? Or is it more a coaching style conversation of once you get them here, it's how you bring them together and get them to buy in? Yeah, both. I think both. I think it's starting with how we get them um, together and to buy in kind of speaks to culture, which we, we work really hard on harder than we did then. Um, but then also when we're adding players, just making sure, okay, we, we have a clear vision for how she fits in to our system. We need that position and how she's going to play with other people. We, we had less conversations so when, early on. It was like, okay, she's really talented. We're going to get her. So when you think about this, then, Kevin, you think about how competitive the Big Ten is right now. You think about the state of women's basketball. You've been here a decade. You think about the success that you have had. What do you think's ahead? Can you see in your head, okay, there's some been some lessons learned along the way and that maybe there is even another level for the Ohio State women's basketball program that's around the corner? I think there is, and I think – don't take this as an excuse. I think we were humming along at, at, at as high levels we ever have since I've been here. We got JC goes out, Madison goes out. We haven't been the same. We know that. Hopefully we'll get JC back before the end of the year. I We're in a tricky – this is where uh, I think next year could even be even more special. Um, if, if, like, JC has another year of eligibility, but she could go pro. Uh, Rebecca has another year of eligibility, but she could go pro. Um, if we get the right people back – um, I think next year could be really special. And I guess what I would say is where I'm kind of going with this, it's like I was saying earlier, we would have really good talent and I think great culture and chemistry um, at the highest level that we've had. it. And I'm not trying to put crazy expectations on next year if everybody comes back, but I, I do believe that. I was talking about this like with the Ohio State football team. One of my strategies for Ohio State in 2023 was to beg Paris Johnson to stay. Please, Paris! Yes. We need a left tackle. Yeah. And it didn't work because yeah. he's going to be a top 15 <laughs> yeah. pick in the NFL draft. Yeah. What is the strategy? And obviously Chris Holtman has run into this. Malachi, sometimes I always say it's like, congratulations on the great job developing a player. Your reward is they left. Yeah, I know. I, so Malachi Branham is here a year. He's so good. He leaves. And Chris Holtman's like, great. Wonderful. Now we're having this conversation with Bryce Sensible. Here you have these great players, Kevin. You want what's best for them. Yes. 
but man, it would help Ohio State basketball if they stayed. What do you do? Well, you know, like Chris, you know, we get all the relevant information and um, in terms of, hey, here's where, here's what the, the WNBA people are saying. And, you know, and, and sometimes they'll have advice. And unfortunately, I, I wish it was, I wish it was, I wish it was easier for, for the young women in our program to leave from a resource standpoint, life-changing money like Malachi Brandon made. I, I wish that was the case. Yeah. It's unfortunately not the case in the WNBA yet. And so they have different decisions. And so, you know, I'm hopeful that, you know, just what we provide in this program and, and hopefully maybe some resources in NIL would, would make it a little easier for them to come back, quite frankly. Um, and so we'll see. But we'll have those kind of conversations at the end of the year. And like I said, I'm, I'm hopeful we can get them back because I think it could, could really be a great year next year again. And maybe we could do something special. Consistent winning making the Sweet 16, competing at the top of the Big Ten. We know what the ultimate goal is. Just, I'm sure you've pictured it in your, in your mind. What would it be like? What would it mean for the Ohio State women's basketball program for you to put up a Final Four banner, to put up a national championship banner? What, what will that be like one day? No, that would be the ultimate. It's like, you know, I, I, I love being at Ohio State. This is a great place. I, I think right now we've got a, a great fan base and a lot of people behind us and and I would love to to take our take our players to a Final Four and and, and have them have that experience and, and hopefully compete for a national championship. I mean, that's the ultimate. I mean, that's that's why we're all here, and you know, we all know it's extremely difficult to make it happen. But you know, we're going to keep working towards that and keep fighting for it. And I know you said resources, facilities. You're not losing any players because of it, but maybe you're also not winning any players because of it. You need a better practice gym. What do you need? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, we, we're going to make some renovations here. We're already kind of kind of working on that. Um, I just think as much as anything, kids are looking at different things now in terms of like NIL and style of play, which, which we're doing well with that. And I just think that if we can kind of get, get people behind us in those spaces, and especially the NIL part of it, I think we'll be right where we need to be with recruiting. He's Kevin McGuff. He's been at Ohio State for 10 years. Another great season for the Ohio State women's basketball team. Kevin Best of luck to you guys in the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament, and thanks for giving us some time here on Buckeye Talk. Appreciate you having me on, Doug. All right, thanks to Kevin McGuff for that. thought that was really interesting. Ohio State women's basketball, one game left in the regular season, Friday at home, 6 p.m. against Maryland. That's a good one. Maryland's a top-10 team. This is going to matter at the top of the Big Ten, and then the Big Ten women's basketball tournament is uh, – the Big Ten Women's Basketball Tournament is in Minneapolis this year. So that's going to be a little bit harder to get to. First round is Wednesday, March 1st. Ohio State won't be in that. That's the the men are going to be. The women won't be. That's 11, 12, 13, 14. Ohio State will either play its first game on Thursday or Friday. If they're seeded 5 through 8, they'll play uh, a first game on Thursday, March 2nd. If they're a top 4 seed, they will play that game on Friday, March 3rd. And this is really competitive at the top of the Big Ten. Really good uh, conference this year. It's High State has a has a shot, like I guess, pretty good shot to be in that top, be that four seed. But we'll see how this shakes out here with one game left in the regular season. And then women's hockey, they are home uh, this weekend. They for the uh, the Western Conference Hockey Association. That's the, the conference that women's hockey plays in. They are home uh, Friday and Saturday and maybe Sunday. It's a best of three with Bemidji State and. That's a quarterfinal in that conference tournament. Ohio State won that regular season conference title for the first time this year. So they're in that. 
and then they'll have that conference tournament, and then we talked about that they have the NCAA Women's Hockey Tournament ahead, and they'll be playing some home games there as well. So if you want to support Ohio State Hockey Friday, if you have options here, you can go watch the women's basketball team play at 6 o'clock Friday or the women's hockey team play at 6 o'clock on Friday. That's at the OSU Ice Rink. It's right, it's like connected to St. John's. It's that terrible rink. So anyway, chance to support these two teams. We're going to do this more Next week, I've already talked to Ty Tucker, the men's tennis coach, who's been incredibly successful there. We talked to him, and I'm going to be talking shortly to Tom Ryan, the men's wrestling coach, about the success. He has a national championship at Ohio State, too, so we'll be talking about that. So anyway, I I hope you found it informative. I certainly found it fun. We appreciate Nadine Muzzerall and Kevin McGuff making time in their schedules to join us here on Buckeye Talk. Always appreciate you guys listening. Friday, we'll be back with the Ryan Day-era defense draft. Nathan, Steve, and I will be doing that. But for now, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.